We will uh, be in uh, Luke chapter 22. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get through three verses today. Woohoo! So Luke 22, we're going to look at verses 63 through 65. And it says here in verse 63, And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Father, we come now to you, and as we look into your word and look into this uh, scenario of these men and the way they treated um, your son Jesus, I pray, Father, that we would um, come away with it, Lord, being instructed, being ed- better educated, Father, in regards to what your son went through on our behalf. And Lord, as we look at this passage, Father, this is a passage that um, many just kind of read over and they don't consider. And so we're going to dive in just a little bit deeper than just a cursory reading. And we're going to see, Father, what really is going on here. So we thank you, Lord, for your word, which is the truth. Help us, Father, help increase our faith in, in regards to your word so that we might trust in it, trust in you. And, Father, to stand firm, especially in these days of uncertainty. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we've now come to the place in uh, the Lord's um, biography written by Luke concerning that hour that he was born to, that hour that he tried to prepare his men for, uh, the hour that the powers of darkness were now allowed to have their way with with the Son of Man, uh, that hour that had been ordained by God from the foundation of the earth, and now we come to that part where uh, Jesus has been arrested, he's now standing before um, the high priest, and he's being tried, I guess you would call it. And so what we're going to look at is um, the trial of Jesus, and there's a lot of different parts to it if you really want to take the time to to study it and stuff, but really there are primarily three stages in the trial of Jesus. There are three stages that were a direct assault upon uh, the Lord's ministry, upon his person, upon his authority. And so what we're going to look at, we're, we're going to look at the first stage of the assault. I don't have my whiteboard. I don't know what happened to it. I couldn't find it. So, um, But so for what we're going to look at today, what would have been up on the whiteboard would have been uh, the first stage of his trial, and that is the contempt that these men held for his prophetic office. Now you think, you know, why is that important? You know, that's something that we look at. Yeah, we see these guys making fun of Jesus, right? But why is this important? Why is this important? So I want to delve into the doctrine of what's going on here uh, so that we have a, a better understanding. So the first stage of the Lord's trial uh, was an assault upon his um, prophetic office. If you read in the Old Testament... Uh, there were three prominent, for lack of a better word, offices uh, in the Old Testament allocated by God to his chosen men. You had the office of, uh, of the priest, you had the office of the king, and then you had the office of the prophet, so prophet, priest, and king. You read about that in the Old Testament. Uh, the priest was the go-between you know, with God and man, he was the mediator. He was the one that made the offerings, the sin offerings. He was the one who offered up prayers for the sinner, so forth and so on. So he was the mediator. And, of course, Jesus Christ is our great high priest. There was also the king, right? The king was the ruler, the governor, the judge, the protector of God's people. Of course, Jesus Christ is the king of kings. And then you have the prophet. And the prophet was a divinely chosen messenger sent with a divinely inspired message, often accompanied by signs and wonders as proofs that, yes, indeed, 
Uh, this was a man sent by God. And the assault on Jesus Christ as, you know, his mocking him as a prophet is very significant in this. It's very significant with the Jewish people. Now, you can read about the details of this, what we're looking at here in Luke. If you read in Matthew 26, 59 through 68, or John chapter 18, 12 through 24, those two Gospels, Mark uh, 14, I believe, gives you a little more detail what's going on. But what Luke is pointing out here is uh, something very, very significant, very, very significant. Uh, Jesus was brought before Annas and uh, Caiaphas. Uh, Annas and Caiaphas were both serving as, as high priest at this time. Uh, Caiaphas was a son-in-law of, of Annas. Uh, Rome recognized Caiaphas as the official high priest. Okay, so as the official high priest. While Annas, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I hope that's how you pronounce his name. While Annas, he was, um, he was the, the religious high priest. He used to be high priest, but Rome didn't really care for the man, so they replaced him. But as far as the Jewish people were concerned, it was Annas that they looked to as the spiritual religious leader, as the high priest. So you had Annas and you had Caiaphas, both of these men serving as the high priest. And of course, Annas was really the the power behind you know, the, the office. You know, he's the one who called the shots. He's the one that everybody uh, went to. He was a very sharp, wily individual. And so this, this first stage uh, was a, an impromptu, unofficial uh, kind of affair. It really, by Sanhedrin standards, by Sanhedrin law, uh, what they were doing here was illegal. Right? In, in, uh, putting Jesus on this pre-trial trial before the sun came up. I'm not gonna go into all that. You know, there's all sorts of books out there that talk about the trial of Jesus and they, they point out all of the Ill, illegality of it. So what they were doing was illegal, but, you know, honestly, when you're the one in power, uh, some, uh, the law somehow can be set aside, right? So that you can fulfill your own little agenda. And so that's what they were doing. You know, they, that's what they were doing. And the purpose of this pre-trial was to force a confession from Jesus in order to lay a charge against them so they could sentence him to death. This is when they brought the false witnesses before him and you know, they laid the claim that he said that he could tear down the temple and raise it up. You know, so all of that was going on. But it was all meant to trick Jesus or get Jesus to a place where he would, they would trip him up and they'd find him uh, on a charge of, of uh, you know, being worthy, being worthy of death. And like I said, Luke doesn't go into all of that detail, but what he does hit on is, is very important. It's very, very vital. Very, very vital. And it was during this first stage that the men who had come to arrest Jesus, um, that's when they started to abuse him and slap him and and beat on him. And um, they had no just cause to do that, you know. I don't know about you guys, but I've seen this. I've seen this on the news. I've seen this, you know, in real life. But, um, you know, there's a streak of cruelty in um, ungodly and wicked people uh, when the righteous fall in under their power. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or seen that. Um, I, you know, I like to read history you know, I read about during World War II when Nazi Germany started taking power and how they were oppressive to all the people who were standing up against Hitler's, you know, policies and in their handling of the Jews and, and how when these men were stood before a tribunal, they were humiliated, they were you know, mocked, and eventually they disappeared. So there's a certain cruelty among the wicked when the righteous come under their power. 
And we see this. And this is what was going on with Jesus. Psalms 37, 32 says, The wicked watches the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Seeketh to slay him. The, righteous, uh, the wicked hate the righteous. The wicked hate the righteous. There's a, there is an instinctive hatred of the wicked toward the righteous. Proverbs 29, 27 says, uh, He that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. So if you're on your job sites and you're living your life for Jesus, right, and you're coming back from break on time and you're being, you know, you're giving your employer an honest eight hours or ten hours a day and all of a sudden your co-workers are giving you a hard time for it, that's because of that. You know, you're convicting them. You're showing them where they're not right. And they don't like that. They don't like that. Uh, Job was a man, you know, he, he was a man who pictured the Jews during the tribulation period. He's also a man who serves as a type of Jesus Christ who, who is uh, suffering. He, he speaks about uh, the, the uh, righteous being hated by the wicked. He says in Job 16.9, He teareth me in his wrath who hateth me. He gnashes upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. God had delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. So even Job experienced this when he, you know, came under under this affliction, how the wicked mocked him and was cruel to him instead of showing him mercy. The psalmist in Psalms <coughs> chapter 22 and verse 6 Again, a psalm that is prophetic of Jesus Christ says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despise the people. And that's where Jesus Christ was at that time. He was an object of scorn, an object of being despised of the people. Uh, when Jesus was under the power of these brutish men, and they were brutes, uh, he was a reproach to them. You know what a, a reproach is? Any idea what a reproach is? It's an object of scorn. It's an object of ridicule. It's an object of ridicule. And, and in the eyes of these men, that's what Jesus was. This, this so-called righteous preacher, in their eyes, he was an object of scorn and ridicule. An object of scorn and ridicule. And they mocked him, and they ridiculed him, and they struck it. They blindfolded him and then struck him in the face. Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? That's one of the reasons why the Pharisees delivered Jesus to Pilate, wasn't it? Pilate was sharp enough to recognize this. He knew the Pharisees envied Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus. And these men who were striking Jesus were doing physically what the Pharisees felt in their hearts toward Jesus. You know, that was transferred. That's something to be careful about here. Something practical here. You be careful. Because unbeknownst to you, the way you... How am I going to put it? The way you feel towards others can be transferred to others towards the other person. You understand what I'm trying to say? So you got to be very, very careful. You want to be careful that you're not, you know, transferring your whatever's going on, if it's negative, to your kids or to your wife or to your husband. And that's what was going on here. Got to be careful. So they were abusive with his words. And yet Jesus didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. Again, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Now who among us would not <laughs> say something? If somebody came up and just struck you for no reason... I mean, who among us wouldn't say something 
You know, uh, because of the way somebody's ill-treating you. I mean, I've seen folks out on the highway. Somebody cuts them off on the highway. And what do they do? They endanger themselves. They endanger the other motorists on the highway. And, of course, they're endangering the one who so-called offended them. And off they go, weaving in and out of traffic. And What was it? Just a few years ago, we had somebody killed because somebody pitched a truck hitch outside of the window and it went through their windshield. Craziness. Just absolute craziness. But the greatest contempt that these men showed to Jesus wasn't the blindfolding and it wasn't slapping Jesus around but it was his they're mocking his prophetic office if you're a prophet prophet then prophesy who is it that's slapping you who is it that's sla- see they were mocking his prophetic office they were je- they were rejecting that he was sent by God. They were rejecting his message of repentance and the offering of the kingdom of heaven. They were rejecting everything that he represented in regards to God. You see, to reject a prophet of God in the Old Testament is to reject God himself because the prophet is the man with the message from God to the people. And when you reject God's word, and what, is it, what does it say that, about his word? That is, he exalts his word even above his own name? When you reject God's word, you're rejecting God. And that's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. A prophet in the Old Testament was a man sent specifically by God with a specific message to his people. And to reject that prophet was to reject God's word. Moses was a prophet. Uh, Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Moses was a prophet sent by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, he was a prophet sent by God. He was a man highly esteemed among among the Jews. In Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 10... This is the, um, what is it you call that when you go to a funeral? It's an epitaph or whatever. What is that called? A testimony or whatever. Well, anyway, this is the testimony written about Moses. In verse 10 of Deuteronomy 34, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face and all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants to all his land and all that mighty hand and all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel so Moses was a great prophet a great prophet notice that all signs and wonders you know, that was the proof of Moses being sent by God to the people that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians one twenty two, where the Jews require a sign. In fact, that was the, if you're familiar with the story of Moses, that was the concern of Moses. Moses asked God, God, how, are, how is it that your people are going to know that you sent me? You know, and in Exodus chapter 4, you can read about it. And, and God's answer was, by signs and wonders. By signs and wonders. Well, Jesus was also a prophet sent by God to his people. He also had a message and he also had signs and wonders as the proof of being sent by God. His message was that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and the proof of that kingdom being at hand was his what? His miracles. Right? The healing of the people, the stilling of the storm. Those were all signs to the Jewish people that he was indeed who he said he was, the Messiah. If you remember when we first started the study of Luke back there in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus went into his hometown of Nazareth where he was raised, 
And they asked him to come into the, when he came to the synagogue, they asked him to read a portion out of the scripture out of Isaiah. And in Luke 4, 4.18, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's in Luke 4.18-19. We talked about all of these points, and we've already covered all that. And all of those points that he that's there in that passage that comes out of Isaiah deals with the coming Messiah, deals with the, the coming one uh, that God had promised. And Jesus said, and Jesus said, hey, I'm the one. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He says, I am the one that this passage is talking about. He identified himself as that prophet. Because if you remember later on, what does he say? He says in Luke 4, 25, uh, 23, he says, Surely you'll say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have done and done, heard done in Capernaum, do also in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Later on in his ministry, Jesus identifies himself as being a prophet sent by God. In Luke uh, 13, 33, he says, Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. So he was saying, I am the prophet. I am a prophet. Not only did he claim to be a prophet, but he also prophesied, didn't he? We studied about what he... Do you remember what he prophesied about Jerusalem? That it would be destroyed. And guess what? It was. It was. Jesus made that prophecy and that prophecy came to pass and that prophecy was according to the criteria that Moses even established. Deuteronomy 18.21, he says... And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? Moses says, when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Jesus didn't speak presumptuously, did he? No, he spoke the word of God. He spoke the truth. Even the people came to recognize Jesus as a prophet as he traveled throughout Galilee and Judea. In Luke seven fourteen, and he came and touched the buyer, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother, and there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying... Luke seven fifteen or 16, that a great prophet is risen up among us. So even the people are recognizing Jesus as a, not just as a prophet, but as a great prophet. As a great prophet. After Jesus was crucified, was buried, and rose again, you remember the two fellows who were walking to Emmaus? And then Jesus came and joined them as they were traveling. And Jesus asked them, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? And these men were talking to Jesus and they said, are you a stranger in town? Do you not know what was going on? What had just happened? And in Luke twenty four nineteen, and we'll look at this when we get there. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. So even these, his disciples recognized in Jesus as a prophet, a prophet who performed mighty, uh, mighty deeds and spoke mighty words. Now I say all of that as a background because that was the controversy 
that the religious leadership had with Jesus. They did not want to receive him as a prophet sent from God. They didn't believe in him as a prophet sent from God. And here is the more important point. They didn't want to believe in Jesus as the prophet. As the prophet. See, the leadership knew that this was the popular opinion of the people. He was a great prophet. Could it be that he is the prophet? Could it be that he is the prophet? And this is the, this is the reason why they never arrested Jesus in, in public. Because they knew this is the way the people felt about it. This is the opinion that the people had about Jesus. And they were afraid that if they would have arrested Jesus in public, it would have caused a riot. That's why they did it at night. When nobody knew about it. They didn't believe he was a prophet. Much less the prophet. And I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute. Remember when the woman came off of the street... When Jesus was invited into the Pharisee's house for dinner, and the woman came and started to wipe his feet with the tears in her hair, remember what Simon the Pharisee said? He said in himself, speaking of Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. See, they didn't receive him. They didn't believe him to be a prophet. You see, the conception of a prophet to these self-righteous Pharisees was someone such as they were. And isn't that usually the problem? Well, you're not like me, so you can't be legitimate. You can't be legitimate. I know Christians who think that way. Well, you don't dress like I do, and you don't eat like I do, and you don't talk like what I do, so therefore you can't be a Christian. Even when face-to-face with a miracle performed by Jesus, they still refused. They still refused to receive Jesus as a prophet. Remember the story in John where the man who was born blind and Jesus healed the man who was born blind? And then this man was brought before the Pharisees and they were interrogating this man about who it was and how he was healed. In John 9, 26, it says, Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Boy, that set their hackles up. They jump, they, they uh, snap back at him. And it says here in verse 28, Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. See, they weren't going to receive him as a prophet. They weren't going to receive Jesus as one sent from God. Do you know who they testified? Do you know who they thought that how Jesus was performing? You know who gave? How am I going to word this? Do you know how the Pharisee, the power behind Jesus's miracles? Who did who did the Pharisee say that he was performing those miracles in the power of? Beelzebub, the devil. Exactly. They were claiming the devil was giving Jesus the power to do what he was doing. Even when face-to-face with proof of the truth, they did not believe. And there are still people today that are that way. They are faced with the proof of the truth, and they will refuse to believe it. They will refuse to believe it. Even the Pharisees themselves argued among themselves about Jesus being a prophet. In John 7:50, Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? And they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Again, they reject Jesus as being a prophet. 
But they err because they don't know their own scriptures because Isaiah 9, 1 through 2 talks about this very thing that they deny. And where the people in Galilee see a great light. So, Jeff, you've spent the last 40 minutes talking about it. What is all this leading up to? What is this all about? What is, why is this so crucial that the leadership is mocking Jesus as a prophet, that he's not, that they're not believing him as a prophet. Well, it's simply this. It was due to the fact that the character in the office of the prophet, capital P, is intimately associated with the Messiah. So when they're denying him as a prophet, they were denying him as the Messiah. That's what they were doing. John 7, verse 40, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet, capital P. Turn to Deuteronomy 18. This is the prophet, capital P. Others said, this is the Christ. So you see, the people were making the connection. What the people were making the connection about Jesus, the Pharisees and scribes refused to do so. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. This is a prophecy that Moses gave to the people. And I wanted you to look at this because I want you to see this this significance. Verse 15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. Now, do you notice something about that word prophet? Capital P. That's important. A prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, and I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a, again, notice, capital P, prophet, from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. This is coming from God himself to Moses. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever, that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So this is just no ordinary prophet, is it? This promised prophet, like unto Moses, would be sent by God to deliver his people... And his people were to listen to him, were to hear him. Because why? Because he would speak all that God had commanded him. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about this very thing. In John chapter 5, 45, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father... There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for ye wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? See, they were rejecting God's word because they rejected Jesus Christ as being the prophet that even Moses wrote about. That's the issue. That's the issue. See, Old Testament prophets, even though they were men who were flawed, I mean, Moses had a temper, right? Elijah, he was subject to depression. These were, just, these were men who were flawed, but they represented God to the nation. And they delivered the message of God to the nation. And in some cases, they, that message was also accompanied with mighty uh, signs and deeds. But they were the representatives of God. You reject the prophet of God, you rejected God's word. 
But in the case of Jesus, capital P, prophet, we're taking this to an even higher level because we're talking about the Messiah himself who perfectly represents God, completely in person and proclamation and performance. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. This is what the Apostle Paul was writing about when he wrote to the Hebrews, the Hebrew believers. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 1, look what it says. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by who? The prophets, right? Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah. Look at verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, capital S, Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of, ma- of the majesty on high. Do you see now the importance of their rejection of Jesus Christ's office as prophet? Jesus gave proof to the Jews, Jesus gave proof to the world that he was that prophets sent by God. That's how significant this is. This was the message of Peter in Acts chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. What happened? In 70 A.D. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. This was his message. Acts 7.37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall ye hear. That's the significance. It's just not making fun of Jesus because, uh, you know, he said he could rebuild the temple after three days. This is significant. They were rejecting the prophet. And so these men were mistreating Jesus, slapping Jesus. And mocking Jesus' office as a prophet. It's just it's more than just making fun of Jesus. Notice what Luke says here in the passage. He refers to it as blasphemy. Doesn't he? Blasphemy. That's what these men were doing. They were committing blasphemy. Psalm 74.10 says, O God, how long shall the adversary approach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? They were committing blasphemy. This was a direct assault on the Son of God. God in the flesh. The prophets. This is what the Apostle Paul confessed about himself prior to his Damascus conversion in 1 Timothy 1.13 who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor 
and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized the blasphemy that he was committing. And all this time, the Lord calmly, with dignity, bears up to this outrageous act of injustice and ridicule and blasphemy. That's how serious this is. This is how serious this is. 1 Peter 2.22 says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to the judge, to him that judgeth righteously. Blasphemy. It was the issue of blasphemy. Same issue today. It's the same issue today. What Luke is recording here is the same issue today. It's unbelief in who Jesus is that condemns men. John 3.17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the, of the only begotten Son. Let me tell you something, folks. And I've said this before, but this is so clever of the wicked. There are certain adult cartoons. Simpsons, Family Guy, some of these others. You ought to check out how they portray Jesus Christ in these cartoons. It's blasphemy. Blasphemy. I've already quoted Miss Winfrey. I'm going to quote her again. But this is the popular opinion held by a lot of people today. She says, One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you may call God. That's blasphemy. Because that is contrary to God's word. And when you speak contrary to God's word, you're, that's blasphemy. Popular preacher down in Texas. I believe Jesus is the only path to God, but there are many paths to Jesus. What does that even mean? He goes on, he says, When my dad founded our church, he had either used a globe or a map of the world behind him. It was, a, it was symbolic of what Christ said to go forth and preach hope to the world. He says, We believe in the cross. We just continue with the globe. And quite frankly, that's what the man preaches. He preaches worldly wisdom. Because he's all about the world. Live your best life now. You guys probably don't know this individual, but he's very influential in Canada. A fellow by the name of Bruxy Cavey. He's a prominent church leader. He's a pastor. He has one of the largest churches in Canada. I want, I want to read to you what he said. Now listen carefully to what he says here. He says, when we look at the cross, we look at the cross with almost a confused view. Is the cross a picture of God loving us through Jesus? Or is it a picture of God wrathing against Jesus And then we call that love. You see what he's doing there? I would say that the latter view goes beyond scripture. Let's not rally around a theory that is scripturally nebulous that the church didn't even hold on to until the Protestant Reformation in any way. That was a completely novel way of thinking. Let's not make that our hill to die on, which for many people it is assumed that penal substitutionary atonement just simply is the gospel. 
Do you realize what he is cleverly doing? He's attacking, yeah. He's attacking the blood atonement. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. We need to challenge that and say no. In his mind, that turns faith into a work. It says once you have this particular doctrine figured out, then you can be saved by it. I'd say this goes way beyond scripture and at some point becomes contradictory to it. He pretty much negated why Jesus came. He's denying the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. He's saying that Jesus as the Lamb of God is contrary to Scripture. And he says we shouldn't preach this gospel. We shouldn't preach this gospel. Propitiary substitutional blood atonement, let me tell you boys and girls, is not a theory dreamed up by the reformers is a truth of scripture that the, the reformers rediscovered because the catholic church was keeping it hidden to keep its people in darkness and under their control turn to Romans chapter 3 what does the bible say Romans chapter 3 In verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh oh. Whom God hath set forth. To be a propitiation through faith in his. What is that? Blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Theory or scripture? What say you? I hope you say it's scripture. You see, the spiritual environment in which we live today is what Jude warned us about in Jude 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Remember what he said about believing in this? He said it was a work. He's calling the grace of God. He's flipping it. Notice how he flipped it and said that it was a work when we figure this particular doctrine out. See how he flipped that? Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Some, year, some years back in our own foyer, this is, this is quite, a, quite a while back, um, I had a man confront me right there in the foyer, and he told me he thought that our church was arrogant. He thought our church was arrogant uh, because we taught that Jesus was the only way of salvation. And he thought it was conceited of us uh, to believe that there weren't many ways of salvation. He felt that, they, we, that we were being conceited and arrogant in teaching that Jesus is the only way while ignoring what all the other religions taught. And I was taken back because I knew this man. And I was surprised to hear him talk like this. And so I took him to some passages in the Bible 
Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none of their name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. John 14.6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write out unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He didn't say anything. But he soon disappeared from attending our church. This is the first stage of his trial where they blasphemously assault his prophetic office being the sent one from God. You've got folks out there telling you that Jesus is not the sent one from God, that there are other ways to get to God. This is the very thing that the spirit of this age is attacking and is the very thing that this very that the spirit of this age is denying and folks it's being preached in churches it's being taught and it's even in the music we sing don't believe it Jesus Christ is the only way he is the one sent by God to die for our sins his blood is atoning he is our propitiation no matter how clever they are no matter how popular they are you stick to the book that's the truth amen holy father in heaven we thank you now for this time together around your word and honestly lord you know many many times we read over these passages and We give them very, very little thought, but Lord, your word is very, very deep. And even though at times we kind of skip the stone over the surface of the pond, sometimes it's good for that stone to stop and just sink a little bit. We thank you, Father, for your word, for the truth that it is. And we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that he is who he is. For in him alone do we have our salvation. Thank you so much that he was willing to shed his blood on our behalf, making us white as snow. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.